0: Thank you everyone for joining the Lead Hership Global program this week. At Lead Hership Global, we feature inspiring connections with powerful women in business, politics, and entertainment that provide priceless guidance about the pivotal steps that push them in the direction of their purpose, their mission, and their dreams. Don't miss all the practical tools, resources, and quick tips you can use today to show up speak up, and step up in your career and your personal life. Learn more about this confidential, supportive, and global community on our website, leadhershipglobal.com. Now let's jump into today's conversation. You know, LinkedIn still remains the one and only place for ambitious, serious, results-oriented professionals to recognize each other by the fruits of a lifetime of work. Social selling, sometimes called relationship marketing, represents the most significant advancement in both sales and marketing, as well as both digital and traditional networking. It's a seismic shift that propels us to a mindset and strategy that combine the precision of digital targeting with the true civility of deeply personal relationships a high-touch social selling strategy generates both remarkable marketing and remarkable ROI for all of our sales efforts. We are freed forever from the stress of spending too much time talking to the wrong people with messaging that doesn't make much of a difference. Our sales continue to skyrocket inside a consistent commitment to deliver huge value to our own very special and unique audience. Now, according to Forbes, Ellen Melko-Moore is America's top LinkedIn thought leader. She specializes in working with high-fee consultants and clients, and is here to talk with us about online networking that creates offline conversations, friendships, and collaborations. I can't wait to introduce you to Ellen. Now, Ellen Malcomore started out teaching rhetoric and persuasive voice at the University of Denver, and she's never gotten over her obsession with communication that inspire people to take action. She's done branding consulting work for Oprah Winfrey, the American Marketing Association, and the Zappos guys, and now creates and teaches LinkedIn social selling strategies for some of the top thought leaders in the digital marketing space. Ellen, I am so thrilled that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for being a part of Leadership Global today. First, I have to ask you, what led you to have such passion around this subject?
1: Well, I would tell you that most of the people who have known me most of my life think it's hilarious that I teach focus which is what Super Tight is about. Um, I, that was definitely not my focus as a younger person. And I think most of the people who have known me in my professional life think it's pretty funny that I teach LinkedIn, because I wouldn't say that in general, I'm like this giant social media enthusiast. I mean, it's obviously very necessary and very important, but uh, it wasn't my first love, I would say. I think the way I got into this, Linda, was I am a recovering academic. I escaped screaming from from the halls of academia. Um, I used to be a, pr- a professor of like rhetoric and persuasive voice, um, English instructor at uh, University of Denver, and so that's where I was. I was teaching there, and I was about to finish the PhD, and uh, you know, I was realizing I loved the teaching, but there's other aspects that were not, you know, to my preference. So basically all this got started because I started asking the question, is anyone else going to pay me to read and talk about books? Like that was pretty much it. And I think I was really lucky there because my question wasn't necessarily like, what am I good at or what's special about me? I really always started from the perspective of the audience. Why would someone pay for this? Who would pay? Where's the, where's the proof that they would pay? Um, I wish I knew the Latin for that. I think it's like K Bono or something like who who pays, who benefits. But anyway, uh, so I started a a book group company and uh, worked with people in book clubs, reading clubs. And because accidentally I'd stumbled upon this concept of a very specific target audience and we created a very specific offer. And as a result of doing that, we wound up doing consulting for uh, Oprah and Gale and um, public radio and uh, early show, like basically we would come in and talk about like how to, you know, book groups and how to organize them and what are they reading and what makes books like good discussion books. So after that, I was sort of curious. Uh, I didn't really understand at the time from a business perspective, exactly why that was successful. And so people were asking like, well, you know, what did you learn and what should you do? And I thought, well, I mean, really, what am I going to say to people come up with like a really weird idea and go for it just doesn't seem like super helpful. Like, you know, get, get three private school loans for advanced college degrees. And so you have to figure this stuff out. I mean, that just didn't seem useful. So I went back and did quite a bit of business education. And then I figured out what i saw especially in the realm of of independent entrepreneurs and women and i saw lots of coaches i saw lots of consultants i saw lots of service providers but usually when i kind of went and sort of wanted to understand exactly who they were working with and what it was about it's hard to it's hard for people to differentiate and linda i think the key piece of data that i'd like people to know if they're struggling with their Digital brand or leadership or any of that stuff. Like, you know, Gary V says, we live in this attention economy, right? So we have to have those skills. And if you're struggling with that, as a lot of people are, and I'm talking about people who've got seven-figure businesses. You know, I'm talking about people who are successful. A, a lot of people don't realize that um, according to some counts, every day there's a hundred thousand more people leaving behind academia or corporate and going into independent consulting, coaches, coaching, service providing. So basically there's something like 100,000 people per day or per week, depending on in the English speaking world. So that means that since last year, depending on which number you believe, there's somewhere between four to 40 million people that have joined you uh, in what you're doing, uh, basically in, in a one-year time. So I just, we live in this time of extremely intense competition and there's such competition for attention. And, you know, as you know, it's, it's people want to get out there and perform these skills, right? People want to use their mastery. I never know how to say that for women. Mistressy doesn't really sound right. Okay. But anyway, their mastery. And instead we have to spend a lot of time kind of funneling all this to particular audiences in particular ways and super tight brand and super tight digital and super tight LinkedIn came for me because as a former dancer, and I'll say this to all the creatives in the audience, if you're a singer, dancer, performer, actor, like a performance is either tight or it isn't. And in my mind, a brand is tight or it isn't. Like you either get it right away or you don't. So then we discovered that uh, LinkedIn was just a great place to test audiences, test articulation. We could do campaigns and find out before a person spent a bunch of money on their uh, website and their marketing collateral and their logo, we could test it and figure it out ahead of time whether a certain audience was responsive. So what do I mean by that? Like a great example would be on, um, there's a, say there's a person who's got a successful digital marketing agency. She's best, she specializes in working with women. And let's say for the first five years of her doing that, maybe 10 years ago, that was a big deal. There weren't a lot of people doing it. So it was pretty easy for her to, you know, get gigs doing that. Well, now there's hundreds and hundreds of other women, perhaps hundreds of thousands of women who are doing some type of digital marketing geared towards women. So if our first example of a person, if she can say, hey, you know what, I'm going to use LinkedIn to specialize in women-owned law firms, or I'm going to use LinkedIn to specialize in women-owned you know, eight-figure companies that are going to nine. There's lots of different ways you could do it. But once you understand that you can use LinkedIn to test, I think it's. I think you don't ever really look back because it doesn't cost a lot of money, and I mean, we found that you can find out in two to four weeks if there is a space or a position that you could be occupying that just might be more profitable and enjoyable, and like most of all, easy. I love um, that. Ellen. Yeah.
0: What a, what a really wonderful way of describing. What led you to have such passion around this area and how you really find that sweet spot of differentiation yeah. among business owners, business founders, entrepreneurs, uh, and even executive leaders. I love that. And that applies to both your personal brand as well as your corporate brand. Yes. But explain to me a little bit about the idea of being super tight. What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is hard to do for ourselves. I wouldn't say that I do it well for myself. You know, the old expression, I'm inside my Coke bottle, so I can't actually read the label. And I think I think it helps to have somebody else to you know give you the feedback on this. I think when you're looking at somebody else's digital brand, whether it's a thought leader brand or a company brand or whatever it is that, that this person wants to be known for, I think most of us actually can look at each other's and know with. Pretty close to ninety nine percent accuracy. We could we can say, oh, I get it. I see at once why this is remarkable. It's hard to define. I mean, I do have a definition that I will offer. So those of you who are, uh, you know, listening to this who are literal minded and be like, I don't want to be told that it feels a certain way because you know that's not easy to replicate. I totally get it. But when you look at your competitors. Or your collaborators, when you look at other women in the space or other thought leaders in the space, and you look, whether it's their LinkedIn profile or their website or their speaker page or their whatever, author bio, I think most of us can say with a lot of accuracy for someone else, oh, I get why this is remarkable. Or, oh, I get this is for like a very specific type of person and you know a great definition of this is do your perfect people get it immediately if time needs to be spent explaining it then maybe it's not quite super tight just yet and you know there's lots of pieces that go into that but i would the way i like to think of it is first off you've got to have a better target audience that is usually one of the biggest problems if someone's first into a space, like say digital marketing for women, well, at one time, that's going to be kind of a new thing, right? So that's going to be what we would call very super tight. But over time, as more and more people go into that space, it's going to get less remarkable. It's going to seem um, more sort of everybody. So if you think about Linda, like, you know, I don't know, five to 10 years ago, if you saw somebody was out there and they're like, hey, I specialize in coaches and consultants. 10 years ago, that was remarkable. Now, not so much. And I always like I picture it like um, I'm holding on to my mic because it's a little funny here, but I, I picture it like sweatpants. You know, when you get like a new pair of sweatpants or cargo pants or whatever kind of pants you like, and there's like that nice, like they're not, they're not like crushingly tight, but they've got that nice tight band. Then you wear them you know, you have too many years, late nights, spilled cereal, crying children, whatever, and they start to really stretch out, which is nice for sweatpants, but not so great for a brand. And when I talk about stretching out, I just mean there's a bunch of other people who joined you in that space. So for example, having a podcast for women's leadership it is an example of something that at first it was you know, the one and only, and then other people come in. So here's a little visual, even though you may not be listening to or looking at me when I'm doing this, but picture a triangle. And there's three elements that make a concept, a brand concept, a thought leader concept kind of stand out. So first it's who it's for, the target audience. That's number one. That's usually the easiest one to do something with. The second one is what problem does it solve? That goes like kind of across. And then if you come down to the bottom of our triangle, I guess it's an upside down triangle, or if you want to go up to the top, whichever way you're visualizing this, the kind of next piece is what's the remarkable solution? The solution has to sound remarkable to whatever that problem is. And what's kind of cool about this is if you think about all transactions in the history of I don't know, humanity, you can see that they all start out this way. You know, there's a group of people, they have a problem, which is it sucks to walk. So the problem is they want to get there faster. That's the problem. Now, my solution is I invented a wheel. So now that you have a wheel, um, if I'm the only person who ever invented a wheel, like I'm in good shape, right? And I'm probably in good shape for a while till a bunch of other people start inventing wheels. And and then at some point, that triangle has to repeat, like some people specialize in a particular kind of wheel. Some people specialize in a wheel for, I don't know, a cart versus a truck. And I love looking at this. When you look at any product, any service that we use, anything you buy or pay for, you will see these three elements appearing again and again and again. Who's it for? What is the problem? And what's the solution? And A lot of times people say, I don't know, you know, does target audience matter that much? And I always like, you know, people, it's interesting in case the people who are listening to this podcast probably know, but not everybody knows that Target has a target audience that is a totally different audience than Walmart. Each brand of toilet paper has a specific target audience. Like if you really want to get granular, so, those are the things we look at. If the brand or the concept or the profile feels kind of fuzzy, we start looking at where can we where can we start tighten up the sweatpants in one of those three areas?
0: I love that. So, Ellen, I have to ask, you know, in leadership Global, we have a global community of women mm-hmm. in leadership across many different arenas, mm-hmm. many different, Uh, size, corporations, Mm -hmm. industries, um, areas of specialty. But what I hear often is that, Linda, when it comes to solving a problem, we're more like a vitamin than an aspirin. We help you get to the next level of whatever success looks like. But we are not necessarily solving a problem. We are accelerating your ability to be successful in whatever venue, health, finance, mm-hmm. marketing, sales, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. And so when you think about your, th- your triangle mm-hmm. and the second side, once you've identified your audience is you identify the problem. What mm-hmm. happens when that problem is not really a problem, but an opportunity.
1: Do you, do you mind if I, if I counter argue your argument, Please. you do solve a problem. The problem that leadership global solves in, you know, to my, what I know so far is it solves the problem of community. It solves the problem of uh, feeling alone. It solves the problem of perhaps being in other communities where things might be too competitive or maybe not competitive enough. One of the problems most people have is we sort of try to kind of advance up on our own. And if we're not surrounded by an ecology that lifts us up, where we get to you know, not just be whatever, the most impressive person there, but look around and go, wow, there are so many people here I'm inspired by, that I aspire to be. I think for women in general, this is a problem that is just starting to begin to be solved. It's not that there's not any women's communities. I don't think it's easy to find women's communities that are both um, you know, very advanced in terms of what people are doing of different types of things, but also very supportive. I I think that's not easy to find. And I would say that is a problem that you solve.
0: Yeah. I love that. I was thinking about other women that, um, describe their businesses to me as, you know, we, we are more like a vitamin Mm -hmm. than an aspirin. We're right. more like a daily supplement mm-hmm. than a prescription, that kind yeah. of idea. But I love the way that you reframe that to say, in fact, even if you're a vitamin, you solve mm-hmm. a problem. Yes, you so do think solve a problem. Even mm-hmm. if you're you're not a prescriptive, but mm-hmm. you're a vitamin, you still solve a problem. That's brilliant.
1: I so think so. We, bu- you- we buy vitamins for that reason. Because exactly. it's a problem called death. It's a problem called aging. It's a problem called whatever. I mean, it, that's what vitamins are for—is to you know give us back that that energy or help us fight something off. And so, I think I think that's that very much counts. And obviously, vitamins are pretty big business, so it's pretty important.
0: I love that. Thank you, Ellen. So, what do you find are the biggest? sticking points for people Mm. as they go through this process, as they're identifying their ideal audience, Mm. as they are identifying problems that they solve, and what's really unique about their solution, what really differentiates them in terms of how they're solving that problem. So where do you find Mm -hmm. the biggest sticking points?
1: Well, this is um, like the most marvelous question you could ask, because the biggest sticking point has always been the people who come to us, again, are generally doing quite well. Um, they are successful. The you know Usually they're working maybe a little bit too hard for the business or the clients they've got. Maybe they're feeling spread a little thin. That can be part of the problem. The sticking point has always been this idea that if I choose to kind of elevate and specialize more, right? So let's say I'm, I'm, I'm the woman from the example, I got my digital marketing agency, it's going really well, and the only problem is there's a lot of competition now, and, and I want to see if there's an area where I could stand out even more. Well, the problem has always been, what if I choose wrong? What if I choose the wrong audience? What if I choose a, a particular audience, and then does that mean all my old people won't come to me anymore? The first problems become, who am I leaving out? You know, will I still get this person? Will I still get this audience if I choose to declare kind of for a more specific group? And that's always been the sticking point. So in 15 years of doing this, the first thing people worry about is this, you know, this sort of that feeling of, oh my gosh, but what if I, what if I'm not right? What if I, what if I chose the wrong position? And so when people spend a lot of time worrying about who they're leaving out, We tend to not spend as much time worrying about who we're ruling in, right? Now the focus sort of goes to, you know, so that's one of the hugest sticking points. I think it always is, especially when you're talking about mission-minded people, when you're talking about people who live to serve, you know, there's always that feeling of, oh my gosh, how could I, you know, leave out this, this group or even leave out solving this problem that I used to solve? And so that's what's neat about getting to do some of this on LinkedIn It was like all those years I had to sort of hold people's hands and we had to sort of persuade them. But on LinkedIn, you can create a new campaign for a specific group and you don't have to go running around and change all the other stuff right away. You can leave everything else exactly the same as it is because most people aren't like actively using LinkedIn to pull in, you know, five to 10 sales conversations a week or five to 10 referral conversations or collaborator conversations whatever type of conversations you need to have as a leader. So that's why we're kind of into it because we can test it out and find out. And you know, Linda, when we were talking about this with you, it's it's, it's often like that. There's often different groups that are being served and different situations that are being addressed. So I would say the fear of choosing wrong, the fear of leaving someone out has always been the biggest deal. Um, And then when it comes to LinkedIn, the the biggest sticking point is that LinkedIn is weird. It's a very weird place. Like if anyone listening to this has ever watched the TV show Stranger Things, um, that's a good way to think of. I think of LinkedIn like that. In in Stranger Things, there's sort of a spooky upside down world. And there's like, big dust clouds blowing by and everything's sort of grainy and dark and gray. LinkedIn is just a weird place. It's not, it was not designed as a social media platform. And so LinkedIn does all these things really differently than, than Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Insta. It's so strange. And so then there's kind of the obstacle of, I feel like I should be on LinkedIn and I am because I have a profile. But I tried to use it once, I worked on it for two months, nothing happened. I I didn't really get very far. And also, you know, I don't have all day, I don't have the whole week in my professional life to become a LinkedIn expert and learn all the weird things that LinkedIn changed to their platform, you know, like last month. So those are the two big obstacles. And I think that's why they kind of go together well in this type of situation.
0: Yeah, super smart. Thank you so much. That really does help. And I bet a lot of our audience can relate to all of those sticking points, the fear of being too narrow and excluding Mm -hmm. an audience or sort of the intimidation of LinkedIn and how Mm -hmm. they are changing that platform and the algorithms around it so often.
1: Yes, they do. How
0: do you recommend that people begin to overcome those obstacles and take the first step or two to test to see if their mm-hmm. LinkedIn profile really is super tight. yeah, And if they think, gosh, you know, it does sound like I'm a commodity. It does sound as though I am just uh, the same as everyone else. I'm not distinctive. I'm not differentiated. Mm-hmm. And I do need help. What are the first steps to begin to explore how to create a difference and how mm-hmm. to take steps to improve?
1: Well, I think the probably the easiest places to start. So first off, people kind of want to know, hey, do I do this with like my personal LinkedIn profile or do I do this with my business profile? And we say personal profile because honestly, people don't care that much what SuperTight says, but some people do care what Ellen Milko Moore says, a small and of course, deeply disturbed group of people care about that. But I'm just saying like, it's um, you want to stick with your personal profile. And that's kind of where you want to start. I would say the easiest places to get started with your personal profile is let's change the context. Let's change the idea that you have to stand out. What if you don't? What if we put that responsibility on your audience? And let me kind of talk about what that means. So if you look at the words underneath your LinkedIn, underneath your name, on your LinkedIn profile, most people are going to have something like, you know, CEO, president, they're going to have a title. And what if that instead becomes a really, LinkedIn does call it a headline. And what if it really becomes a headline? This is a great place to experiment and get started. So for example, um, one of the ones I was going to bring for show and tell, and now I'll just do the tell, I won't do the show. When you look at a before and after, and let's say we see this person's profile, her name is Daphne Sarkiris, and she's a systems and operations expert, a, a COO, fractional COO expert, and that's what she's got under her name. What if she changes the words underneath her name on a personal profile and instead now it says the journey from 1 million to 10 million for your business? We provide the systems and processes to make that happen. So she's done a couple of things. First off, she's now talking about you, not about her. She's talking about her target audience. She's also named a target audience. She said, hey, you know where we really shine is in that space where a business has gotten to about a million and we are really good at taking businesses to 10 million. Now, we haven't even changed anything else yet In the profile, but already now because the words are about me, her potential audience versus about Daphne, it changes everything for me if I come across that. So that's a good way to start. And it's safe to experiment with. I think people worry a lot about, again, what if I choose the wrong things? Usually when we're working on this with people, we try several different headlines until we see one that's really performing um, and really stands out. And so I think if people felt a little safer just to mess around with all this, because literally, unless like people are like hundreds of people are coming to your profile every day and just being like, "Oh my God, this is my woman. I want to work with her," then you've got room to you got room to play around, I think.
0: I think that's right. And so mm-hmm. how do you measure performance as you're beginning to test some of these hypotheses, test some of these positioning mm-hmm. statements and headlines, How are you measuring impact and measuring the success of these different options?
1: I'm glad you asked me that. I love I'm like a story person, but I love data as well, and I have a real kind of impatience with marketing that doesn't really sort of take responsibility for and it's tough. When you're a marketer, you there's a lot of things you do that build over time. You can't always just put out one thing and get the response you're looking for. But what I the way we test it is we optimize the profile first so it's kind of going in the direction of this particular target audience that you might want to you know talk to. So now we would do some other things beyond just uh, the headline, but that's a place you can get started is work on your headline and your banner. That's kind of the big space behind your cute little picture there on your LinkedIn profile. So let's say we optimize this profile and we make sure that we're really speaking to this owner of this $1 million-ish business who's trying to get to 10. Right. You know, one, two, three, whatever it is. They're going from seven figures they want to get to eight. Well, then what you would do is you can use LinkedIn outreach. Um, you don't even have to, I mean, sales navigator is a great way to figure this out, but you don't have to have it. If you go to your regular search bar on just the regular LinkedIn, and you make, let's say you make a search and you find, you say, I'm gonna find 30 women that own. That are the CEO slash owner slash founder of businesses in approximately that one to two to three million range. And I'm going to do this based on, let's say I live in um, where do you live, Linda? I'm in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, Texas. Okay, so we're gonna use Linda as example. So let's say Linda's doing this and she's like, I'm gonna find 30 women in Dallas, Texas that, you know, fit this parameter. So I'm going to use the LinkedIn search to, you know, find CEOs and owners. I'm going to find them in Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to find them um, as owners of smaller companies. Um, Now there's ways to do this too. You can, you can search by the number of employees this person would have. Okay. So I don't want to get too into the search details because this is a little bit more technical, but the idea is you would reach out to 30 people who, uh, could be described as your target audience. And for each one of them, you're going to, you're going to say something like, you know, um, I'm going to acknowledge each person individually. I'm going to say, you know, hello, Linda. Um, you know, I love, I love the gorgeous earrings you're wearing in that, in your, in your picture. Seriously, women like to get, I love getting compliments on my earrings. The point is you're going to say something personal to that person so that Linda, I've now made Linda both the sender and the recipient of this. So this is kind of a confused metaphor, but we're just going to go with it. All right. So let's say Linda's reaching out to me and she says, Ellen, I like your earrings. I like your coffee cup. And then she says, when you get a moment, visit my profile, come check out my profile and see if it makes sense to you to connect. If you send out 30 of those requests to 30 people who resemble this target audience that you're trying to talk to. These are new connection requests. These aren't people you're already connected to. You will find out very quickly out of 30 people, how many people agree to connect with you and how many of those people also say something to you. Because If you are a a person listening to this podcast, I think chances are very high that you are a lifelong learner type of person, and maybe your clients and audiences are lifelong learners. So what matters about that sort of psychographic is if you're reaching out to people like that, many of them will actually go look at your profile. Because you said, check out the profile and see if you want to connect. So sure, some people will disconnect because whatever, they don't care or their VA is doing it. But other people will go read the profile. They'll go look because you left it in their hands. You said, check it out and see what you think. And those are the kind of people that are fairly quickly going to be in a conversation with you that you can then move on and have those later conversations. And let's say you try that out with two different groups of 30 people you know, you test one audience or you test another, or you test a way of saying it with one audience or another. You're going to find out very quickly. If you send that message out to 30 people and one person connects with you, then probably it's not resonating yet. And we need to do something about that. Um, There is one other little toggle that you might want to know about. And I'm so mad they moved this to Sales Navigator. It's not in regular LinkedIn search, but you can also pick to have this sent only to people who have posted on LinkedIn in the last 30 days. And that's going to change your search considerably. Because if I have posted in the last 30 days, that means I'm putting some effort into this and I'm paying attention, or maybe my assistant is paying attention, but somebody is, right? And that's different than sending 30 messages to people who haven't actually been on their LinkedIn since, you know, 2012. Because those people are probably not going to reply to you, no matter what. That's so true. Yeah,
0: Ellen, wow. So much great advice, insight, expertise. You've definitely made, I think, everyone, and certainly me, think about our LinkedIn profiles differently. And thank you so much for helping us get a lot more clarity about how to create profiles that not only very clearly identify and connect with our ideal audience, Mm -hmm. but describe the problems that we solve and the way we uniquely solve them. I think that's so smart. And I love the idea of approaching LinkedIn playfully, saying, let's just try some things. Mm -hmm. Let's just experiment. Let's see if there is a particular way of approaching conversation with my ideal audience that really resonates with them and creates action. That is. Brilliant. Because you're right, we're only going to learn through experimentation. We're only going to get better as we receive feedback from our marketplace. So all such good insight, Ellen. Thank you so much for being here today. Now, my very last question for you. I was
1: going to, oh, hopefully I've got one more thing I'm going to say, but I'll try to fit it into your last question. Sorry, go ahead.
0: So what is the best leadership advice that you've ever received that you would like to pass along to our audience?
1: I think this actually does kind of fit. I think um, the best leadership bias I ever received was really being willing to um, expand my leadership, sometimes by adding other people to a team, sometimes by just trying something that maybe I thought I wasn't very good at or that I couldn't do. I think understanding that we all have our kind of skills and our sweet spots, but being in partnership, being in relationship with other people who can more than cover those other things, that's huge. And so for me, I'm not, I, I was not very good at data, for example, that was not my skill set. But once I really started to understand how important that was, I have a business partner who knows a lot about that. And because of that, we're just able to do some different things. I think the story I was going to tell that does fit into this is I was going to say, nobody has ever come to me and said, gosh, I just can't wait to spend an hour a day on LinkedIn. I mean, like no one has ever said that. I mean, I, which I totally understand, but I have people that are now are now making seven figures a month just through their LinkedIn marketing who have stopped doing a bunch of other stuff that wasn't really doing them any good, like not in the big picture. And sure, that's a plug for me and for LinkedIn. But I think more importantly, often when we are willing to just kind of look at another way of doing things that goes beyond our comfort zone of, oh, hey, I'm only good at this. I think once we really look at objective reality and say, okay, wait, what would happen if I tried it this way? That's when we have the biggest jumps. And It's important to me because for a long time, I totally resisted all of this. And I was like, I'm going to do in-person networking till I die. And, you know, F all this nonsense. I don't want to learn how to do all this. But I think in the last few years, like learning how to become a really great digital marketer and finding the platform that kind of worked for me and for some of our people, it just takes the pressure off. And I don't have to be running around with some sort of outdated position. That I really don't feel anymore. That I, you know, it, it's changed a lot. So I would, I would say, keeping that open mind, get some good help, and look at things a little differently.
0: I love that, Ellen. Thank you, everyone in Lead Leadership Global. Thank you so much for being a part of this week's podcast with Ellen Meko Moore. Thank you so much, Ellen, for being a part of this Lead Leadership Global program today. And tune in next week, where we have another extraordinarily inspiring guest, just like Ellen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success, Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up, and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com.